got me at one one point. I forget what it was that um forgot again what it was, but I was I was sort of making some point and he goes, Okay, now argue the opposite. And it was like <laughs> I hey, yeah. fell right into that. And I'm like, All right, well, yeah, then I definitely go. Oh, and, and it was, it was like whatever the obvious it was obvious the argument against it i think was was more obvious <laughs> um but i really loved that that was a great kind of challenge for me nick <laughs> yeah and i feel like anytime i get uh like um real deep into into a belief one way and i feel myself like digging a rut in that thought process like okay think the other way see if you can argue the other way because if you feel that this is that correct then that must be that incorrect. Try to poke holes. Go. Yeah. Yeah. And and Ra talks about that a lot in terms of the approach to to balancing, right? And that every yep. thought has an antithesis and that we should or we are invited to to experience the antithesis of each of of our thoughts. So yeah, I totally agree. It's it's nice to find yourself in one of those um sort of ruts or you know in a space to debate or to make an argument and then suddenly be reminded that that um i'm choosing that you know and it's like okay now choose choose the opposite and go argue it the other way and it was like that was fun that was it was yeah. fun to be reminded and invited that like um all of our perspectives are more transient and something that we're just trying on you know yeah. from moment to moment so that was cool that, yeah, that that'll help me when uh, I be out in the world and something would happen and I would I would uh, you know I always use the example where you get cut off in traffic and you get cut off in traffic and then if if you feel some kind of way about it well I'll argue it from their perspective you know and then I don't know it just brings a little peace because I, I I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt after I feel like not to pat my own back I've gotten a lot better and being out here is a lot easier but on the East Coast. When I first started driving, oh my God, it was just infuriating. And I had to do that practice where I was like, okay, well, you know, see, see it from their eyes or, or, or why are you so angry? You know, what, what, what if they had this to do, but it's just that perspective thing. Yeah. That's like the greatest example. Cause that happens like literally every single time you go and drive somewhere. So that's a, literally just happened to me today when I was running the grocery store. So I know what you mean. And that's like, the best way to keep that in perspective, it seems like, is through that example or that constant reminder when that happens. Yeah, and even and people who don't drive late, just by like getting cut off in line, you know, if you're if you walk into the subway and you get cut off in line, like I think everybody can relate to that example in one way or another. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely is a perfect segue to go back into the discussion about the balancing exercises, and it's like the yeah yeah i i sometimes have don't totally different experiences in traffic where i'm feeling um guilty that i'm not going fast enough or it's like the guy on my <laughs> on, the, on my tail is, is wanting me to go faster so i have to i have to i sometimes have to be the person who's going too fast and too slow and i have i have both experiences on the road a lot um <laughs> but yeah it seems like a, a lot of times it's an emotional reaction that allows me to remember, oh yeah, I should try balancing this this reaction that I'm having. But sometimes it's more subtle. And I think that sometimes when we have a strong attachment and we don't want to see it as an emotional attachment or an identity attachment, that's when it's the most important for us to dig in and try to find the opposite and, and pull out what that bias was that we weren't able to previously see within us. And that seems to be what you're talking about, Andrew, with, with, with just general arguments for for truth it's like what, what would be the opposite argument if we're making a one-sided argument what would be the opposite that's so that's a great discipline um and i feel like yeah it's it's uh just just the capacity to want to find the opposite when we're already attached to one side of it is like this spiritual practice that's the, the core of this exercise yeah and and then in in so doing you find yourself in you know what the the white white magical tradition would call the middle pillar um but that's it it's all because of this polarity so we have the bias see the biases that pull us into one direction or the other and this great reminder that says well if there's a bias in that direction there's going to be one in the other direction and um and then as soon as you as soon as you allow for that like literally as soon as you 
do that, it it has effectively negated that that um, bias that you have. Like it's just really interesting. In that moment, you can literally flip gears, experience the opposite polarity, accept that opposite polarity, and then realize that now neither of those polarities effectively hold the bias anymore they've now balanced each other out and it's a it is a really interesting kind of thought experiment and you can experience it you can literally have that experience of having a bias and then and then just a minute later going wow now i actually don't have that bias only because you've tried on that that antithetical thought it's amazing so might as well dive back into the session five material um, so last time we talked about, well, we talked about session four also in the last meeting and session five is the expansion of session four. And I started out talking about the, um, the first of three teachings broken up by mind, body, and spirit. So we covered the mind teachings and that was relating to knowing yourself through um, mastering the concept of mental discipline and examining the self, knowing the biases, balancing them. Second mental discipline being the acceptance of the completeness, which is the, um, uh, once you have the understanding of the biases, then you do the work of accepting them and forgiving yourself. I think, I, th I think forgiveness and acceptance are very related concepts for me. Would you guys believe the same? Yeah, I do. Because acceptance to me is what comes without judgment you accept something literally at face value or um you know sort of at its beingness just it simply is as opposed to us the assignment of meaning uh to it so i do actually equate those two similarly and then the third discipline is instead of just analyzing yourself it's with the gaze outward um and seeing the completeness in each entity there exists completeness seeing that in everyone and then they said the next step is the acceptance of other selves polarities and then the um the fifth step involves observing the geographical and geometrical relationships and ratios of the mind the other mind the mass mind and the infinite mind so that's the, the step that seemed to me about the most uh <laughs> archetypal and out there way out there yeah, I would love um, a whole book on that sentence right there, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, before the law of one, I would I would analyze by saying, you know, is this coming from love or fear, whether it was my actions or what I perceived other people's actions to be? Is this coming from love or fear? And then once reading the law of one, it just kind of puts different vocabulary in it. Whereas, you know, is this is this a service to self? Is this a service to other selves? How does this help me? How does this help them? How does this help the greater good? It just, uh, it, it put a, um, a more comprehensive vocabulary to some of the things. And it's not that it needs it because is this coming from love or is this coming from fear kind of is the, to me, to the root of all of it. And, you know, having these other layers are helpful. Um, but it just, it just gave a different, a different vocabulary, which, has helped me immensely. Totally. And it feels like uh, the once we have the basics of accepting ourself, you know, through these mental processes, then they, um, it seems like we do have a bigger job here with the planetary consciousness that they're referring to with this, this fifth step. And, you know, I, I can speculate about what some of this means with the, the relationships and ratios of the mind, the other mind, the mass mind, and the infinite mind. And I think, you know, I, it starts for me when I observe the relationships that I have with my thoughts versus my wife's thoughts uh, versus the thoughts of those around me who are challenging me on different ideas. My my parents have different thoughts than I do. And my, my siblings have different thoughts than I do. And I feel like there's always a kind of... Um, Ge geometric symmetry across the different distortions with those around me that are the mirrors of my own distortions. And I, so I feel like even when I, um, when I, when I don't feel like there's a particular issue to be dealt with, 
I've found some benefit of trying to see what does it seem like there there is in this difference, seeming difference between me and these other people around me in the way that they're seeing things and the, and the way that they approach things. And I think that gives me a hint of what the geometry of the mind relationships might be in the sense that maybe, um, and, and I think astrology is similar where it's like, if you're born on the same day of the year and your planets are in alignment, then you have a, a great sim similarity in certain aspects. And then if, if a person is like 90 degrees from you in their, where their son was when, when your son was in the, in the chart, if their son was exactly 90 degrees, um, you know, a quarter of the year after born, after you were born, then there are specific um, alignments that are interesting, but then there's everything is, will feel like it's a little bit askew in the way that they interpret things. This is my possibly over analysis of, of some of the relationships in my life based on the astrological um, nuances. And, you know, my dad has some oppositions for me and my wife has some oppositions for me where it's, it's like a straight line in the planet. My planet was on one side of the chart. Their planet was on the other side of the chart when they were born. And, and that was one way that I feel like um, we can get a hint of these relationships um, in a sort of geometrical fashion. Um, but um, I, this is like a, a big task for overanalyzing to some degree. Um, and I think probably writing down like the, the differences between us and other people in our lives can, can help us get a sense of this to start with. So I haven't done much on the astrology side of things, but are you looking at then more generic overviews of like what, where you guys maybe don't get along as well, or yeah, how, how would you put that into terms, I guess? Of what yeah, so I could give an example here. Yeah, so it's like, um, my wife is the kind of person who doesn't want to be on camera, for example. she I would love to have her in these meetings. We have these discussions a lot, and she doesn't want to be on camera. She feels like um, it's, you know, it's safer to be, um, keeping a distance. And I feel like, um, it, it's like, she's, she's a perfect, um, protector for my energy a little bit in that way. Uh, because she, she is so in my, much in alignment on, on these particular kinds of mental processes that we engage in when we have these conversations, but she's also approaching it from an angle of, of, uh, of, I guess, a humility that I don't, a, a different kind of humility that I don't process the same way. And it's, it's like the way that she's processing um, her, her relationships around her is, is coming from like a, a different perspective that I have, I have difficulty sometimes processing. Um, but it's, but, but when I see it, I recognize it. I see it. Oh yes, this is, and, and then she can make fun of me a lot in the way that I, um, I, I process my, my own, uh, role and overestimating my own um, understanding of things and, and she she comes in with with like the this this twist on things that i i wasn't seeing i, I guess that might not be specific enough but um i don't know that makes sense i, I get where you're going with it so yeah, makes sense man. wouldn't it be fun and interesting to be able to if everybody carried around the star chart and you could just be like oh okay well Okay, I see. I see that this was here and it was there for me. So that makes sense that you see it, you know, in the complete opposite way of me. And oh man, I wonder. I wonder how much we could learn from that about, like you said, the the geometry of the mind. Like if if all of this this the stuff and the theories around astrology are true, uh, I tend to believe they are. But not everybody buys into it completely. But like if you were a soul vectoring in on a on a physical body and all of the the energies of the planets and the stars around you influenced as you vectored in on it wouldn't it be fun to to play with the charts of everybody and then you know when you get cut off in traffic if they had their chart displayed above right above their car you could be like oh okay you got more mercury i i see what you got now you got you yeah. got that warring body coming in is mercury the warring one more mars? mars mars you got more mars in your chart so you know obviously you want to be front of the line so go ahead <laughs> yeah 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 it's when your mars are in like a 90 degree or 180 degree relationship i think that's when you're most likely to have some kind of lesson that's coming through that that relationship yeah um i have two things on here real quick one before i forget because i 
I couldn't even because I don't understand astrology nearly enough and started Googling it a little bit. Um, I was watching something on I think it was on YouTube last night. It was either YouTube or Gaia, but it was very similar to um, some of the Joe Dispenza stuff, um, but it was describing um, sort of getting into more of a Kundalini awakening. I think it's describing this process by which um, this fluid is sent from uh, a certain part of the midbrain down the spine and it comes back up and then comes into the pineal and stuff. So they're assigning this chemical relationship to effectively the Kundalini awakening and part of the practice that they were describing was um, I think it was abstinence on a particular day. It, it was sort of just alluded to this though. So I was kind of interested in, in determining more about what this practice is broadly, but it talked about when the moon is in the sun sign that you were born under. And like, I couldn't figure out what that means what does it mean when the moon is in scorpio like when does that happen the what i was watching implied that it's once a month but i couldn't tell if that was the case or not well it, it, the, it's just like what part of the sky is the moon in uh when you were born it is be where the moon is in your planetary chart and then the, the sun is i mean you know when there's a solar eclipse uh, or a lunar eclipse you know they're they're the the moon and the sun are right on top of each other. So there's there's a very unique energy because of that alignment. Sure. So, but when is when is the moon in, or when is my moon in Scorpio? Or when is the moon in my Scorpio? Like, what is that? I don't, I don't even know how to ask the question. I know. Well, that. you definitely have to look up your birth chart. And there's many you know websites to do it. You look up exactly, you have to put in where you're born on the planet, the city you're born in. And you have to put in the time of day you're born. You know, you have to guess at that if you don't know. And then because based on all that information, then the the, the calculation will, will give you where all the planets were precisely. And then knowing that, you can then see the relationship of where your planets were when you were born and the moon will determine the relationship to where the planets are in the present. And as as the as the planets move around, they sometimes they sync up to where they were when you were born and then that's a conjunction sometimes they're 90 degrees and that's a square relationship so you have these different energies that will um be related to the energies from the moment of your birth and actually ross says it's also related to the moment of your conception there's these two different overlays of energy and, and astrologists very rarely will ask you when did your parents have sex <laughs> but but uh that's that's one way to to get a little deeper into the nature of your personality too interesting well andrew it's funny you bring that up because i think i saw that same video just the last week too and i was asking that same question about how do i find when the moon is in my sign and i found a website i think it was what daily astrology and it'll tell you where the moon is it's usually like a day to three days or something like that it's in each sign so it'll be once a month but it'll be for like a day and a half to two days okay. um so today it looks like it's in libra and I'll give you a time, but I, I looked it up too, just because I was curious and was asking some of the same questions since I don't have a ton of astrology background to it. But yeah, I can send you that website too, if you're curious, but I was kind of interested on that, uh, on that topic also. Yeah, I would, I would love to just, I'd like to kind of go down that rabbit hole just a little bit to see, um, because they seem to be implying again, that it had this sort of sexual energy related to it and that um by not they were sort of i don't know again if you saw the same thing or not but they were using interesting words and language around it but like basically that this this essence this oil is actually what they described it as this like super um whatever spiritual oil that gets sent down you know from the brain down the spine and that it's like if you don't otherwise expend it is sort of what they were saying that then it can travel back up and then you know close the loop and suddenly you know maybe move you on um or or has some you know progressive um quality to it i guess to approaching it this way as opposed to um expending the energy and it not then making the reverse trip back up the the spine is sort of how i was interpreting that well it's yeah, interesting that... oh go ahead I was, it seemed to me like it had a lot of ties to the Kriya Yoga practice of also pulling up the internal energy, but that was giving it to a specific time of the month where it seemed like that was 
more likely to have this actual kundalini awakening and pulling that oil up to what they call the cave of brahma right up towards the pineal gland area there um to then be able to activate higher energy so that's that was at least my interpretation of what what i was hearing too from there but what you said was basically what i took out of it as well that's awesome cool well then i just need to find out when the moon is in scorpio and at least then i'll know what what time of the month i'm i'm you know wanting to focus on and see what's coming up around then this is interesting that we could talk about cycles briefly too um because they said that um well the question was asked about cycling in streamings of energy and maybe i could go to that one briefly um yeah, they were they were in in sixty one point two. They were asking about Carla's condition, and they said in this particular entity, the cyclical complexes of this space time nexus are not favorable for physical energy levels. And and when they were asked more about the the cycling in streamings of energy, Ross said there are four types of cycles, which are those given in the moment of entry into incarnation. There are which I assume is the moment you're born. Um, there are, in addition, more cosmic and less regulate, regularized inpourings, which from time to time affect a sensitized mind-body-spirit complex. The four rhythms are, to some extent, known among your peoples and called biorhythms. So I wonder if this relates to what you were just describing. And then they go on to say there's the fourth cycle, which we may call the cycle of the gateway of the magic of the adept or of the spirit. This is a cycle which is completed in approximately 18 of your diurnal cycles. So eight, every 18 days, we go through this uh, adept cycle which i've been uh paying attention to that one because it's they give it very precisely here that's 18 days and you can mark on your uh calendar and a, a recurring event that happens every 18 days after the day that you were born and you can follow the cycle and on days four five and six you that's when i think you have the most potential for awakening experiences but i think life is a little bit more intense because of more being expected you on of you on those days and this is another you know, section of the material they describe and and you can see here that the um the notes on love1.info will reveal a website that the ll research organization created which has the ability to um show your biorhythm uh calculation um and and they um they make some assumptions here about the the number of days which relate to the physical cycle being 23 days the emotional cycle being 28 days intellectual cycle being 33 days but i have no idea if these are valid uh day calculations because of the fact that these are um from some other source i don't know and i haven't analyzed this enough to know um but i feel like this is a very interesting area it is interesting i tried to get my bearings on it months ago i think i downloaded at least five biorhythm applications and i couldn't get any two of them to agree <laughs> on even the three biorhythms that they all purport to um to talk about you know the same way yeah yeah i did the same thing too i found one that i liked the most i think it's called biorhythm and just simply biorhythm and then you can add in your own versions of it so i added in the adept cycle that you were talking about you can add that 18 day thing in there so you can track it through the app but yeah, it was also just questionable, I guess, on the background theory of how how many days were for the different physical, uh, intellectual, and different cycles like that, though. Yeah. Um, going back to what you were originally sharing there, Mike, though, it does say there are four cycles, and then it says there's a fourth cycle. <laughs> um, yeah, there are four types of cycles, and then the next paragraph is there is a fourth cycle. It's like, I don't. Maybe they're um, talking about four rhythms. Um, yeah. I see that. Yeah. It says there are four rhythms. These four, the four rhythms. Yeah. And then I it guess says there's a fourth cycle. Maybe they're saying that the fourth one is not known among your peoples and the three, three of them are. I don't know. Yeah. That's, yeah. When it comes to numbers, obviously, we know Ra can get a little ambiguous so yeah it could be that they were intending to say three above that and that there's a, a fourth that we're less aware of yeah i might as well finish off reading this they say also the cosmic patterns are also a function 
of the moment of incarnative entrance and have to do with your satellite you call the moon, your planets of this galaxy, which they also use galaxy to mean solar system. So that's confusing. And the galactic sun, which I assume just means the sun. And in some cases, the instreamings from the major galactic points of energy flow. So I think a lot of this we can't even really know without having some intuitive reading on it, what these in-streamings are. I know that uh, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I've been reading says that um, right now we're coming up on uh, like dead center of the Milky Way. Like mm -hmm. we're, we're receiving energies from the center of the Milky Way galaxy into our solar system. And I mean, I get to speak for myself, but I think a lot of people would agree. It just seems like time is speeding up. It's, it seems like, uh, you know, and, and, and you could talk to some people and they're like, oh, when you're a kid, you know, time is forever and, and, and a week is, is years from now. And, you know, as you get older, time slows down. But even from, uh, you know, five years ago to 10 years ago, it just seems like everything is just at a breakneck speed and, and things are just happening so rapidly. And I think that, I think that that has something to do with that energy. I think that that energy is, you know, I don't want to say manipulating time, but manipulating our perspective of time, our perception of it. Well, I think it's fifth dimensional consciousness, which obviously transcends time. So as consciousness continues to elevate at a collective level and we're finding ourselves more and more, a part of fifth dimensional consciousness that's why our attachment to time is is going by the wayside because we're just we're not couched in the same you know requirement of the linear experience so i mean we're having more <clears throat> conversations even in this group for example around things like uh non-linearity you know as it pertains to timelines and whether or not we could be jumping timelines or creating new timelines and um our relationship to reality is very different than what it was um both collectively and certainly individually um you know just a few years ago the things that were possible then you know or, or are possible now weren't possible a few years ago like we just couldn't conceive of these kind of a thing and now i'm not entirely sure that that my past and history as i supposedly know it um are even one you know linear experience and my relationship to it certainly doesn't feel um linear anymore um it feels much more like it's you know assimilated for the most part and like getting unpacked and then reassimilated back in after things are healed or you know seen a little bit differently yeah yeah i think that's a natural process of opening up to the um, the the full extent of the influence of the metaphysical dimensions and the flow of time and yeah i think it's it's hard to say how much we're dealing with parallel timelines but i think yeah everyone is unique in that in that respect i forget if we talked about this last meeting it was recorded or if that was a different meeting um, but that's something to dive into a lot more as we go on and discuss time space especially because time space is like one of the more confusing areas in the material that's the most revealing, I think, about these metaphysical laws that affect us in a non-linear way. Yeah. It's almost like we're we are spending the beginning of our lives in space-time. And as we grow into these higher conscious beings that would live in time space, time speeding up because it's you know you're getting used to all time being at once as opposed to time being linear. Exactly. Your need for the linearity is, is going by the wayside and therefore your experience of it is as well. If you spend a lot less time lamenting the past and um, being anxious about the future, well, congratulations. Welcome to the present moment awareness. Yeah. And the old saying, you know, now is the only time, you know, because you can't touch the past and the future is uncertain, you know, just be, be present now. I mean, that's, that's the reason I was late for the call. My mind for the past couple of days has just been wrapped up in two days from now we're driving to the East coast. So, 
you know, checking weather, thinking of what needs to be done. How do we wrap this up? How do we do that? And poof, I missed the present moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that whole time as a construct thing didn't used to set with me very much at all. Like I, I could not comprehend that. I knew it was a thing. I was able to accept it as truth. And yet it um, just wasn't something that I could realize. Um, and now um, that's changed quite a bit in that this is, you know, the, the awareness that this is the only moment that exists. Uh, it's the only moment that's ever existed. And, and even more so the notion that tomorrow and yesterday are just ideas, um, strictly ideas, ideas like any other ideas. Um, that's it. They're just ideas floating around in consciousness, but they don't exist. The idea of yesterday is an idea, but yesterday itself doesn't exist in, in you know, so-called tangible reality. Yeah, for me, this also relates to the archetype of the the great way of the mind relating to the the the, the sense of the timelessness of the the way in which the mind flows through experiences. Um, the the sphinxes were the symbol of the timelessness. And it's like it's just a process of of, uh, of flowing through manifestation in this infinite consciousness, um, based on just the 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 way that the mind wants to operate. Basically, is is the way in which we're experiencing this flow. Yeah, that's it. It's just the the mind choosing to have a a linear experience. But as we as we no longer identify as those experiences, as we no longer <clears throat> um, use those as labels to say, this is me, then the purpose of those experiences, the benefits that can come from them can actually be assimilated. They can be integrated into the self. And then they are no longer present because they're no longer needed. And that's how I've felt that my relationship with the past has changed over the years is that as I assimilate and integrate what it was, you know, that could be learned through something um, it's gone. It's effectively, it's as though it didn't happen, frankly, because now that the lesson is learned through it, the event itself no longer represents anything. It just, it doesn't, it, it, the only thing it ever represented was the opportunity to learn that lesson. So once that lesson is learned, um, that information is is packed up and and gone. It reminds me of the miracle in a way. It's almost like things never happened at all. And I wonder how many things I'll never remember as part of my experience um, that were just fully assimilated and hopefully the vast majority of it. I remember very little as it is, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, that, there was a Star Trek episode that bothered me a bunch as a kid about that. It's like <laughs> there was an episode where at the end of the episode, everyone forgot the entire content of the episode by the very end of it. It was like they completed that that little package of time anomaly and now they're done with it and no one has any memory. And I, I think uh, David Wilcock once made a connection to a, a verse in the Bible. He said that uh, there's a verse that says um, the old things will not be remembered or come to mind um in in this new new age and he likened that to the mandela effect and maybe that's just it's just we're mandela affecting our way out of the past and um i think it's been speculated also that that i don't know if this is anything related to what ross says but it's been speculated that for example maybe the planet moldek which destroyed itself um through through war maybe at some point that will just no longer be a destroyed planet it'll just be another planet sitting out there because all of the karma that led to its destruction has been healed and, and no longer had to have that experience of having been destroyed yeah that's that i have no problem with the with the um non-sequential approach to time like that and reactualizing a different point in history based on a, a new chosen reality today um that seems okay by me i don't i don't get lost in any paradoxes in there i don't i don't claim to be able to explain it on a whiteboard that's for sure but um in terms of moving 
fluidly right through the the dynamic of what it means to to understand things at this level it's like you either um, decide to to put a stake in the ground somewhere and say this is my gospel truth and everything has to be what did we, what we were talking about surveyors right nick before we were talking yeah. about this, this sense of truth this carnal sense of whatever and so when people do like a civil engineering project that's what we were talking about the analogy is that somebody goes out and puts you know a stake in the ground effectively um very similarly and does that and says okay this is what everything else is going to be you know measured by yeah the benchmark we were talking about yeah the benchmark and i um i think i've let go of the need for for that or at least i've let go of the expectation that it can exist because because infinity exists then therefore everything is infinite everything can be measured relative to other things but all of that is therefore arbitrary so if you go with this sort of relativistic view of things and say okay well i'm just going to ride along the top of this particular you know wave of reality then everything is always just in respect to everything else without this attachment that says it really needs to fit this particular thing or it's always got to be measured you know versus you know this one particular uh kind of a thing so i don't know if any of that makes sense but it really it's the finite versus the infinite and having um having a more comfortable relationship with how things relate to each other than um having to have that relationship with how i relate it to something that i consider to be quote unquote true when in reality the things that are true are all outside of space and time they're literally everything that's beyond my ability to to physically measure it you know with a tape measure right now yeah yeah it really is like uh, being the programmer of a simulation where you know within the simulation the simulation seems very finite and limited but within the context of authoring the simulation you you have all power over over the the reconfiguration of the parameters of the of the experiment so yeah that's a good point two different sides of the same coin one has all possibility and the other one has what appears to be very little so I'd be happy to switch over now to the discussion of the body and continue that discussion that we briefly touched on in the last discussion. And I pulled up some other um, quotes that we can go into, um, but, but we could start out reading the um, first paragraph here. Um, so the second area of learned teaching is the study understanding. And they they, they put study understanding together, I guess, um, to imply that there's a relationship there. The second area of learned teaching is the study understanding of the body complexes. Because I think to study something implies that you don't fully know it and you're looking for full understanding and yeah. to fully understand something means you you've studied it and you're now at that point. That one struck me too, because I mean, some of the other ones teach learning, you know, that is so obvious. And then you get the study understanding and you're like, you know, even if you think you understand it, you know, because like if you're, if you're learning it and you're, well, I guess, yeah, if you're teaching something, you're still learning as you're teaching. If you quote unquote understand something, you could still be studying it as you understand it. Yeah. I think it's an ongoing process to study the body, but go ahead. Yeah. That's, that was it. All right, we can continue here. Uh, it is necessary to know your body well. This is a matter of using the mind to examine how the feelings, the biases, what you would call the emotions, affect various portions of the body complex. It shall be necessary to both understand the bodily polarities and to accept them, repeating in a chemical, physical manifestation the work you have done upon the mind, be thinking the consciousness. And I think last time we, we talked about uh, body polarities and gave the example of uh, cravings, I think we talked about maybe. Um, 
food is one easy way of understanding bodily polarities, I think. Um, can you can you extrapolate on that a little bit, Mike? Yeah, yeah. So um, a, a person can easily see polarity in their bodily complex between hunger and being full. Um, when you're um, very, very much into eating, you may not have experienced the polarity of fasting enough yet. Um, the polarized opposite of eating all the time is is one, I think, simple example of this. Okay. Uh, I assume there's many other, I mean, obviously sexual functions are another bodily polarity. Okay. Uh, and then like physical energy levels, similarly, like um, feeling either overly tired or exhausted yeah. versus, you know, yeah. completely hyper-energized. Okay. Yeah. And I assume it even goes down into the fine-tuned chemical levels with uh, dopamine and serotonin and uh, testosterone and estrogen. And each of these have a different um, effect on the, the physical body, I think, that's polarized. Um, yeah, and that's, I mean, for, for myself, I, when I was like, uh, I think it was like 15, 15 or 16, I went away for like a month and a half, almost two months with a friend of mine down the beach and his family and his neighbors all rented a, uh, a little condo next to each other and they had four sea-doos. And so, you know, I've never experienced anything like this. I've gone to the beach, but I've never experienced like every single day, just hanging out with friends and, and we would do everything. We would play cards. We would go to the rides, but more importantly, like every day we woke up, we were like, yes, let's go out on the sea dues. And for this month and a half, two month period, it was just dopamine, 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 dopamine. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is so much fun. So much fun. And I remember coming home after that and the day after two days after taking a shower after just laying on the couch. And I used to love laying on the couch and watch stand-up comedians. And I remember watching stand-up comedians and sitting there and just being like, Ugh. and so I got a shower just thinking like, all right, you know, like whatever, let's reset. And I remember being in the shower thinking like, am I depressed? Is this what, is this what being depressed is like? And this, you know, that little voice in your head that, that, that comes and guides you when you need it most was like, no, you idiot. This is just being tired and overdone. You just went through just this amazing month and a half, two months of just ah, like life at breakneck speed, reset yourself. And I remember that was, you know, it was right around the time I had just picked up a book called The Zen Keys to Buddhism, and it talks about witnessing the mind and being uh more aware of the body and all these things and it was just i was like oh my god i'm depressed this is depression and that little voice was no no dude no be aware of what like think think yeah. before you just jump to this craziness it's very fascinating to me how how much physical exercise doing intense physical exercise can elevate my mood yeah. and it's 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 almost like you know, the 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 more de depressed I might feel, the less likely I am to want to do that physical exercise too. Yeah. So it's like understanding this relationship between our mood and our body is very fascinating. I think one other thing I was noticing while we were reading that paragraph I hadn't considered before was to examine how the feelings, biases, what you call emotions, affect the various portions of the body complex. So what's coming to mind now is when you kind of think back on the previous experience you had that either you don't necessarily like the way you approached it or whatever, but you feel that in your body somewhere. You feel like a little twitch when you think back to that experience that that's being stored in your bodily complex then as something that you need to go through and re-examine in order to release that from the body. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys experienced that, but I know I have some of those things looking back with interactions and revisiting them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I haven't had as much direct experience of it um because i think in sort of the the process that i went under i was invited to bring those things up 
as recollection, I think, first. So rather than going into the body and seeing where is there sensation that could be a result of these things, it was more like, well, think of the things that you know, you know, you haven't forgotten or that are still really with you, bring those forward into this moment and kind of process them. But um, that's interesting to be able to tie it, you know, to the physical as well. And this makes sense. This is this is healing and manifestation is what they're what they're describing here. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I don't I don't think about the tensions in my body that often. Um and, and you know, when I when I do like a Tai Chi uh exercise video with my wife, you know, there's always like something that loosens up and I start standing up straighter that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't noticed that that was um, an imbalance that needed healing. And I think, and yoga also, I've noticed with certain things coming to mind when I'm doing certain stretches or exercises, that there was something sort of stored there that pops back into my memory that, you know, if you're not paying attention, you might not realize there's a connection there that the, the healing of the, or the balancing of the body is related to the balancing of the mind still. Yeah, it can have a causal a causal effect then is what we're saying is that you can uh, manipulate something in the physical in the body and um, have that correct something in the mind or or at least draw attention to it and create an opportunity that you might right exactly just okay. with eating healthy or taking psychedelics i think there's 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 a physical catalyst that can bring about a, a new frame of experience for um I guess, emotional analysis. Yeah. So it says here necessary to, to both understand the polarity and to accept them, which I think makes sense. And it does, it says it's basically repeating the same thing that we do um, for the mind. And that makes sense. But then as I go on to the next uh, paragraph, uh, the biological bias must be first completely understood and then the opposite bias allowed to find full expression in understanding and so um what does that mean um for you guys um full expression does that mean that we should therefore physically experience the opposite bias or it finds full expression in our understanding in that we apply this is this a mental exercise that I apply the the opposite bias to and when I'm able to fully express it in my own understanding that I've done this effectively or do you think that this is saying if I have now experienced you know being completely full and satiated for example that now I may find benefit in fully expressing as someone in a fasted state yeah I think that's actually the healthiest way to live is to after you've had a large meal, don't eat for a long time and then allow that, that, that balance to kind of reset everything. Um, but is that, is that how you interpret what Ra is saying here specifically is that you should actually physically express the opposite bias or that you should understand it? And I think that it depends on whether or not it's really a bias. I think that I, this, this is kind of my assumption that there is, there is a kind of healthy balance balanced state and when when you're experiencing strong bias that's the imbalanced state so when you have an addiction to sugar that's an imbalanced state that has to be balanced in some way but when you have a healthy relationship with sugar maybe it's not something that needs to be balanced through okay the, uh, the piece, oh, go, go ahead. ahead i was gonna say i think it might be situational jumping ahead just a little bit on there when they go to the understanding of the biological male is also female so at that standpoint they're talking about getting yourself basically the understanding that you are both uh, and have both within you and obviously that's not something you can totally experience in you know the male body female body from that standpoint so i think it is a little bit of a mental exercise at least from from what i'm understanding here yeah they'll say that the simplest example of this is to understand that each biological male is female so like he's raw is you know making it most accessible but that is the most simple form of it meaning that it it echoes into the into the you know infinite complexity of it when i first read that the biological biases must be first completely understood to me 
as someone who just, I, I have loved studying the, the body physically uh, and how, how you can uh, psychosomatically take, take a feeling and an emotion and put it into your body and somatic, uh, uh, um, somatic psychologically have something that hurts and then it becomes an emotional state. Um, I used to do uh, um, like a healing method called rebirthing and you would breathe in a, in a uh, cyclical matter and you would do it. And every time I did it, I would, I would, I would just feel physically better. And that physical betterment would echo into my mind as well. And it reminded me of, um, there was a guy named Patrick Collard and through a long complicated story, his book is yet to be printed. And uh, I was lucky enough to be able to look over the manuscript of the book. Uh, it's, it's, it's an injustice to everybody that this book has not been able to be printed with What's different stories. He relates every portion of the body to a different portion of your um, psyche. So uh, starting with like your foot, your right foot would be your father. Your left foot would be your mother. You know, the base of what you are. They helped you grow up, you know, and then you get to like the knee and uh, your, your other people that helped. You know, if you had a close family, it might be like your grandparents. If you were close with your friends, it could be your male friends or your female friends. And then you get to the hips and it's your intimate partner, uh, you know, and not just your sexual partner, but people that you are very close and intimate with that might not have necessarily been fundamental in how you grew up you know uh it could be your sexual partner it could just be you know if you're a guy and you have a really close guy friend but that person wasn't with you your whole journey so he basically assigns the whole body to different parts of your psyche and you would then be able to see somebody that has a limp on the right side and the limp is like down in their foot as opposed to like up in their knee or in their hip and you'd be like oh they might have a fractured relationship with their father because it, 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 it is coming from that portion of the body. So with all that being said, the biological bias must first be, must be first completely understood. So to me, the bias would be unease. So if you were in complete uh, physical ease, your spine was perfect, you had all the perfect curves, all of your muscles were relaxed, uh, that would be um, the opposite of a bias. So if you had a bias, there would be unease, there would be tension, there would be, you know, if it was deep enough, it could be like bone on bone, like a lack of cartilage was manifesting, but it would start as something like, you know, ah, oh, my shoulder's a little tight today. And then from your shoulder being tight, you're like breathing off. And then from breathing off, you know, you start to twist your spine a certain way and it can echo weeks and months or years for some people if they never address it. But if you can find the root of it, oh, okay, why, is, you know, why do I have a tightness here? And you can find the biological bias, stiff shoulder, my rhomboids are tight, you know, I'm pulling back like this. It, that is what they mean by first completely understand to, in the same way that you can meditate, quiet your mind and hear the voice that's trying to help to to listen to your body in the deepest sense and to find out, to completely understand what's that, what that biological bias is so that you can bring yourself back to um, equilibrium, I guess. Yeah. That reminded me of this passage here where uh, they asked about, you mentioned that thoughts of anger uh, are now causing cancer. Can you expand yeah. on this mechanism as it acts as a catalyst and Ross said, the fourth density is one of revealed information. Selves are not hidden to, selves or other self, to self or other selves. The imbalances or distortions which are of a destructive nature show, therefore, in more obvious ways, the vehicle of the mind-body-spirit complex thus acting as a teaching resource for self-revelation. These illnesses such as cancer are correspondingly very amenable to self-healing once the mechanism of the destructive influence has been grasped by the individual. So that makes sense that as soon as you can see that connection and deal with the direct um, imbalance of your mental state, then the, the healing of the physical state can follow. I think that also echoes back to when we were talking about the um, acceptance and forgiveness as being one and the same. Uh, I had a, um, 
an experience where, uh, uh, you know, a friend of mine stole something from me and I didn't find out, I didn't realize that this person had stolen this thing from me until years later. And then I, I, I harbored this anger for so long. Like, how could you do that? How could you take advantage of, of my kindness? And, and I, it just, it ate away at me. And then eventually I was like, all right, I have to forgive this person. I have to forgive this person. I have to, or first I started saying, I have to accept that it's gone, but I still held the anger. The minute I started forgiving the person, just mentally forgiving the person, I could feel it physically playing into a released tension into my body. And then oddly enough, um, it was like all these things echoed down. Like as soon as I accepted it, and forgave the person, all these things started falling into place that, 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 that I wanted to happen, but just weren't happening in my life. And to, to like, my, I've always wanted to play hockey, uh, but just never had the money. It's an expensive sport to start. It's an expensive sport to continue to play. And uh, right around the time when I finally accepted and, and forgave this person for what they had done in my past, the opportunity to play hockey came up. I started doing chiropractic work and like I could feel just a, an ease in my body. And I know it's not all just because of that, but I found it to be an interesting correlation to where the minute I fully embodied the forgiveness of that person and that event in my past and accepted it, all these things just started to open up. Like they were blocked for my future because I was harboring this discontent. How how long was the period of time, Nick, between when you discovered that the person had stole that from you and when the process of forgiveness began? Oh, my God, years. Uh, um, I thought that the I, it was a it was a uh, gold bracelet and I thought that the gold bracelet was missing for one reason and then definitively found out it wasn't that reason. And then I started thinking back on the day that it went missing. And I was like, that's, that's the day that this person came over and this person doesn't really play video games yet. He decided he wanted to stay in my room and play video games that day. And we all went downstairs and then the thing was missing. I was like, that was him. Oh my God. I can't believe that. And then I would picture like when I see him in the future, if I ever see him in the future, how would I confront him? And what if he was wearing it? You know, like, Oh my God. And I just, went down this rabbit hole. And then eventually I was like, okay, look, dude, you don't even know if you're going to see this person. And this, you, how much mental energy and time have I spent analyzing this thing? The fact of the matter is it's gone, bro. <laughs> you got to yeah. let it go. You know what I mean? Accept that it's gone. And then furthermore, forgive that person because I know he was in a tough spot. Uh, I don't agree with what he did to get himself out of a tough spot, but you know, that's what he did. And now it's truly affecting me. And then after that, I, I, I started to forgive him. I want to say by the time when I found out that it was definitely him and then I started to go to accepting it, it was probably over a year, year and a half. And then when I started to be like, okay, you need to forgive that was probably closer to two, two and a half years. And then at that two and a half year, three year mark, uh, you know, when I fully been like, okay, don't, don't put any more mental energy into it. Uh, you know, everything started coming, coming together. Uh, every, absolutely everything just was making new friendships was, 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 uh, enjoying life more. And I know it wasn't like I was walking around all day thinking of it. But to some degree, I may have been, you know, it may have well, it's always in your field, whether it's something yeah. that you're consciously noodling on or not, mm -hmm. your consciousness is, you know, this, this totality, right, that has all of this other information that you're lugging around. So whether you're thinking about it, or it's just there in your field. Yeah, yeah. it's all there. I mean, it's a part of your consciousness. It was a huge parachute holding me back. And then the minute I cut the lines, just took off it, it was cool it was cool to see very cool so i i also know that uh, there's the author louise hay who had a lot of writings on that subject of correspondences between specific diseases illnesses and um specific mental conditions that maybe were needing forgiveness but i think that's probably 
you know, an intuitively written book, book too. And I think it's up, up to us, but I think our dreams are very similar in the way in which, um, you know, different aspects of our reality will serve as symbols. And then it's up to us to interpret those symbols and, and go a little deeper. But I love what yeah. you said about the different parts of the legs being different kinds of family members too. That sometimes those linkages are maybe more apparent than we give them credit for. It does yeah. make sense. I think given how fractalized everything is, um, that's not surprising actually to see that there's an there's an overlay. You know that things there's a framework and they overlap. I mean they have to. I mean that's that's essentially oneness and the law of one itself is that. Everything has to be, it's necessarily connected.